0: Welcome to another episode of Value Nigeria Podcast. How has the outcome week been? Um, Thank you very much for joining us once again on the podcast. It's our aim to bring content or to bring guests that not just improve you as an investor, but improve you as a human. Uh, in, In that light, we have a guest this week on the podcast again. My guest is a digital transformation professional who has garnered quite some experience working with the big four, one of the big four firms in Nigeria. He also presently works for one of the big four firms presently in the United Kingdom. Um, My guest had his BSc in accounting from the Abafem Yawolo University in Nigeria. And uh, he's not just an avid retail investor, as you get to hear in the course of our conversation. Uh, He's also quite a prolific writer. He's committed to a lifelong discipline of um, reading and, you know, continuous improvement. And uh, I sincerely do hope that beyond what you learn about investing, beyond what you learn about the psychology and the discipline of investing from our conversation, I hope you learn life skills such as reading, such as um, writing, such as um, how little efforts can snowball into big changes in your life. And I hope you apply these changes and, you know, Um, get benefits even from this episode of the podcast. I'll leave links to his Twitter handle um, in the description of the episode and as well to his blog where you can get to read a couple of his write-ups. Do enjoy this episode as much as I did. Thank you very much for listening. So it's another exciting conversation. It gives me quite a lot of joy to have the guest I have on today. Uh, Mr. David Alade, He's somebody who I've followed for quite a while on Twitter and he's a prolific writer. He's somebody I respect quite a lot and I'm so glad that he was able to eke out time out of his busy schedule even to join us on the conversation today. Um, so you're very welcome, David. Do you mind just introducing yourself to the listeners just so that they get a feel of who you are?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me, Ajibola. Oh, okay, so I'm David Alladay. Uh I think I'll probably just start by, I mean, start from where you start from, which is I write. think writing has just become a part and parcel puzzle of me because it just fun to do. And hopefully, we can talk about that during the conversation. Uh, I run a blog called What's From Grand because I like to share tips and uh, opinions about how people can build wealth and that. Uh, I work with uh, one of the big four consulting firms as a consultant. I do everything around uh, digital transformation, specifically with uh, data. Uh, What else is I'm married. Uh, No kid here, but I'm seriously looking for a kid. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I guess that's that's, uh, a good summary of David.
0: All right, perfect. You've touched on quite a lot of subjects, which I assure you we are going to talk about, which is part of the writing, even the marriage. Don't worry, we'll we'll get to that point. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, uh, now uh, it's. I always like my guests sharing a little bit about their personal backgrounds. If you don't mind, can you just share maybe one of your earliest memories and what growing up, what your formative years were like?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I'm, don't I'm I'm shy away from sharing that because uh, I like it. Well, I like it not because it was fun. <laughs> I like it because I mean it's the foundation of where I am today. So. I think there is memory that I, I mean, for the sake of this conversation that I'll probably put on record is that uh, since I could remember, I've always been working. There's never been a high time. I've always been working. (laughs) Um, I grew up with a single mother and uh, obviously she would need the support of the kids to ensure that we grow up right. So she sold different things, uh, different things basically from popcorn to coconut to pepper. And I'm always on the end of helping her to move those things around to sell for her, right? And every other business that she goes into from there, I'm always there behind that, helping her. When she was doing the selling, I would basically it here and there around. When she opened the chemist, I was there in the chemist after school. I would basically just go there. I'll be the, I mean, I got a nickname of a doctor. I'm surprised that I'm, I'm, I'm doing something next day. <laughs> and uh, when she started another business manufacturing, she bought as I was there again. So yeah, I mean, ever since, I've always, I think that's probably my earliest memory. And I mean, it's part of what just made me who I am. Just always working, always working.
0: All right. Thank you very, very much. Um, it's, it's brilliant to see how this... Um, um, industrious background that seems to have been inculcated in you by your mom right from your formative years have built up to um, making you who you are today?
1: I, I think in a way, I wouldn't, maybe it's a plus or not a plus, that has sort of affected me that I don't know how to be, I do. I'm always looking for the next thing to get my hands on, <laughs> once I say that, okay, I mean, I'm not doing nothing, it feels like I'm sick. <laughs>
0: Well, it's part of who you are, and it's it's brilliant to see how it has evolved so far. Um, now for for most people, okay, well, for Archimedes, who is the person that discovered flotation and um, whatever that physics principle was, he had this eureka moment in the bathtub when he laid in, and you know he he had this eureka, this moment that of enlightenment. Looking back, can you identify one moment of enlightenment where you? identified your passion for finance or where you identify this uh, passion for wealth building?
1: Ah, for wealth building. That's interesting. Tough to point to one. (laughs) Really tough to point to one. I think, I mean, I think it just evolved. I really can't point to a one, 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 one that this was it, right? I really can't point to one. It just evolved. I think it was just part and parcel of me because again, like I said, because I've always, been that, I've always been with my mom, I mean, throughout all that process, from right when I can recall, I understood the value of money in hand, and the one that is not in hand. But I think it was, it was just in me. And I mean, a very, I mean, very interesting story is this. Throughout my university years, of course, like I said, I have, I've never been the like to be ideal. When I finished university, I went to learn how to repair mobile phones. <laughs> that was the first thing I did, because I can't be idle <laughs> while I was waiting to get admission. When I entered my hundred level, at hundred level, the first thing I was thinking about was, how can I put myself to use? It is not enough for me to just study. I've got to do something outside of study. So I set up myself to start helping people to repair their phone. Thankfully, I had a friend then who cautioned me from going into that with a simple one. He was like, "Ah, David, you know, if you spoil people's phone, you have to replace it. So then to test me, he gave me one of his phones. That was bad. And he said, I'm, helping I'm helping to repair it. to today, I've not been able to repair. <laughs> so that, by the way, I mean that just killed the idea. Two hundred level, I went into another business. I bought some things from 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 basically my my where I was staying. Brought it to school to sell. 300 level went to lengthy learning because again I just can't speak to that. So basically, it has just been there over the period. So of course, I took that outside of the university. And when I move out, I had more resources. I'm like, okay, I can put my, I can share some of my ideas out there, start writing, and yeah. But can't point to any eureka, especially when it comes to wealth building. It has just always been there as a passive. All
0: right, perfect. Um, you seem to have come quite a long way from from the point of you know doing stuff with your hands, going into business like arbitrage at that point, up to now that you've you know evolved into investing, to writing, wealth building, um. What has been your greatest lesson so far along this evolution from point A, where you were back then, even to point B right now?
1: Uh, It's interesting. Uh, I think ultimately, I mean, the few lessons that I've probably picked along the way is, is, is a continuous resolve that there is no free money out there. Anything feels like a free money, I don't even get interested. I just... And times that I've shown to be interested, my thesis has been proven right that, David, (laughs) there is no free money. (laughs) Yeah, so there is no free money. So anything that basically, I mean, anything that appears to be a free money, one, it doesn't just appeal to me. I don't don't cherish it. That's one. And basically building on that again, I've learned along the way as well that uh, prioritizing my ability to make money. Prioritizing my capacity. Investing in my capacity to make more money is more important than me investing in any asset for, for, for that matter, at least as of now. As of now, right? I mean, that might change in 10 years' time because I mean I'll probably have enough capital and 10% to make sense. But right now, it's just giving me the idea that prioritizing my ability to make money is more important right now, right? Than any investment that I might make along the way. Because also I mean, like I said, ultimately. It is, only, it is only how much I'm able to put in the market in, in whatever investment that can yield return for me. So I like to give I'd like to give a for example that I would rather have a 10% return on a million dollars than have 400% on a thousand dollars. So my goal then is to find a way to make the million dollars so that even as little as 10% will <laughs> be enough, and I won't absolutely be looking for 400%. That's true. And the third one is that when it, now, when it comes to the investment itself, except I am willing to do the work that is required to outperform an average return, then I shouldn't be chasing more than average return. So, a very I mean, putting, putting, putting a very good number to you. Except I'm willing to do the work required to study companies, to understand their competitive advantage, to understand what makes them a good company in my portfolio, I should basically just put my money in an s 500, which you give me an average dollar because I am not willing to do that work or I don't even have the capacity to do the work. And of course, that those three sort of principles have saved me a lot of headache, has helped me a lot in being straightforward as to how to invest my money, what to prioritize and what not to prioritize.
0: Well, perfect. Th- thank you very, very much. You, you've touched on three points. Um, The first, as you have said, is that there is no free lunch out there. Um, if somebody is giving you something for free, then probably you are the product. Um, investing in oneself to improve our capacity and our ability to earn is a good foundation on which we can build our investing practice on. And lastly, you've touched on the fact that to outperform the average, there is a lot of work that we need to be to that needs to be done. Um, I'm just going to take this a little step further. Is there any chance you can share your process from idea generation up to um, buying the company or how it enters into your portfolio? How, how do companies enter your radar and how do you build on them up to the point that you decide whether to buy or not?
1: Oh, so uh, your question has gone further, but I'll take my story backward. <laughs> before, before I finish university, I've already started getting interested in a lot of things around finance, and I was really keen to learn it, to understand it. And I read—I used to read a lot then about the stock markets in the US and everything. So immediately after university, the first thing I thought about was how can I get into this game of investing. I had the opportunity then to meet with a stockbroker that was in the thing where I was, and uh, I opened an account. And uh, I did what I—I I mean, what then I called an analysis. <laughs> And of course, I remember buying Fort Oil, oil, Seven Up, and I think one of that company like that, basically. But yeah, that that was the beginning of the journey. But where I am right now lends back to the the earlier uh, comment that I made that, except I'm willing to do the work that is required to outperform the average, then I shouldn't be looking for an above average return. So I'm at a stage right now where I don't have the capacity, and I'm not willing to do any work that will require me to have an above-average return. So, in terms of investment, I have no individual companies in there. Nothing. I just, when the when my salary, money, uh, monthly income comes in, I take whatever portion I want to put in investment out, I just invest it in a broad index. That's all. And the, I mean, the, the the reason behind is not perfect. I have a day job. I have other things in my hand. And even if I didn't have all that, do I have enough knowledge, enough capacity? Is it, I mean, it was, as Warren Buffett said, it's not that it is impossible to outperform the market. It's just that it's not easy. And if it was easy, everybody would be doing it, right? Yes. So basically, I just, I mean, I just linked to that. I just linked to that opinion that it's not easy. If it was easy, look at what the market is saying right now. I'm not sure how much uh, the statistics is. I mean, is uh, valid, but uh, there was a recent article either by Wall Street Journal or one of the one, basically one of the financial publishers in the U.S. that says every stock that the retail buyer, I mean, retail retail investors has gotten since the beginning of the pandemic, they've all sold it. Yeah. They sold everything, right? And, and looks. I'm like, that's interesting. They sold everything. Wow. <laughs> I mean. They, That's to tell you, I mean, it was a bull market. It's easy for everyone to buy into individuals. It's easy for everyone to say Shopify is the next Amazon. It's easy for everyone to say Amazon is going to keep on increasing in price and all sorts in the short term. But you see, the idea is not in this. I mean, for, for me, it's not about the short term. In the short term, I probably have enough to put in my mouth. I'm thinking about 10 years, 40, 30 years from now. So my my eyes is just focused on that. And I know that if I want to sustain this habit of mine, this my investment, uh whatnot, over a long enough period of time, I've got to do what is what is convenient, and I've got to do what can give me a good sleep at night that I won't have to check. Like I can't remember the last time I checked my whatever. I just I just money comes, dump it there, I forget about it. Because I know that the what if the worst case scenario should happen to my kind of investment. Then there is no investment in the world that is safe because let's assume that the investment I'm talking about is s&p 500. If s&p 500 should go to zero, I don't think you are safe. Anything you might have put your money into in the world, yeah. <laughs> so basically, that, that's just it. So, that's the kind of investment that can give me a good sleep at night, and uh, I know that I can do comfortably without much work as well. So, yeah,
0: okay, perfect. Um, j- just to explore, just to, to take this a little bit further one more time how much knowledge or how much, when do you think you would have enough or when would you qualify one to have enough knowledge to invest in individual equities rather than in the broad index or in an ETF?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting. I think ultimately, it boils down to individual. I read a book recently by William Green, Richard Weiser and Appiah, and it was a phenomenal book. So the the, 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 the way he wrote the book is, is a series of in, series of interviews with some of the legendary investors, and there's a, the consistent pattern in all of the book. Are this one, they all have a different process. Two, the only thing that unifies them is that they only invest when they have when they feel comfortable enough about their decision to invest in that. So ultimately, have a process. It's not that you see someone talking about Shopify on Twitter or because uh, another person mentioned Coinbase or whatnot, and you're like, that's the next thing I'm buying. If that is what you're still doing, I can guarantee you that you're not ready. Now, having the process is one part of it. The next thing is your ability to wither the storm, which is you being comfortable to now invest, right? And of course, in what I mean, in um, there's a lot of terminology that people use for that, including marginal safety, including ability to sleep at night, including competitive advantage. I mean, different things come into what people time to say, you know, what I'm comfortable to invest in this thing. Because at the end of the day, right, it's your money, at end money, which you don't want to lose for any reason. So if you still have a bit of a doubt in you that this money might go south, then maybe you are not sure, you are not certain of that decision lot, right? So I think that's it. One, it's some, that should be someone that has a process. Two, then your process must be such that can give you the peace of mind that whatever you are investing in, and of course, you don't get a peace of mind without some level of knowledge, and that's what your process will give you, knowledge, that knowledge, right? And of course, that peace of mind that, you know, I'm putting my money in this, even if it goes minus 50%, you recognize that this is a valuable company that you bought. You are only buying more. You are not running away from, from, from that kind of stuff. Or, Selling everything, like quote unquote, the average investor in the last two to three years or so have sold everything, according to that article we have earlier. Yeah, I,
0: I came across that article as well. Thank you very very much for bringing that up. Um, now I'm just going to hone down on this um your this habit of reading that you seem to have developed over the years. H- how did this habit? How did it get sown in you? And how has it improved your practice? And improved you as a person.
1: Uh, okay, so reading. Uh, when when I entered university, my hundred level, I wasn't I mean, I wasn't even reading my what's it called now? I wasn't even reading my I mean academic. <laughs> Not to talk of reading anything outside of that. One I wasn't a fan of reading. I was like, you know, what? So I mean? I went to secondary school without reading. We passed the YA. At least passed it in a, in a way that got into the university without doing much reading. So I thought I could escape as well. Right? But of course, I did my own level levels first semester. paid my other level first semester. And it dawned on me that there is no way I will pass through this university without investing my time in reading. So of course, in that sense, reading started for academics. Now, because I got serious with myself in 100 level, I joined a Christian fellowship as well. When I was doing the training to join their workforce, because I joined the workforce of the Christian, when I was doing the training to join their workforce, there is a a consistent pattern with all of the leaders that probably come to teach something or probably just loitering around. And this pattern is this. Aside from their Bible, they all had books in their hand, whether they were reading it, or they were reading and starts a different conversation, but it was just consistent. They all had this book that they packed together with their Bible, of course, jota uh, here and there. That was fascinating. Somehow, somehow, some, I guess that existed in my head unconsciously. But of course, immediately I just knew that okay, for me to, I mean, for me to be the best and that kind of a thing, I've got to be the reading type in this community as well. So I started buying Christian literatures and reading it, and that was profound. Then I stayed with someone in my 200 level. I mean, it's probably it's a, I'll probably call him a big uncle to me. Israel is his name. And he was like, David, you can't get to anywhere in life just with a Christian, well, his own perspective. He was studying philosophy then. (laughs) He was like, you can't can't get to, you can't learn anything meaningful or have a diverse perspective, just tickets to all your Christian literature. And I was like, well, maybe you're right. But of course, that comes to this as well. And then, of course, I started exploring books outside of the Christian literature and that was where I mean that was part of where the spark came in but I have stood consistent to that habit simply because of the dividend of reading that I've gotten and when I say dividend of reading I mean dividend of reading so uh for those that follow me very well on twitter consistently I have said the book how to win friends and influence people changed my life and I like to watch the comment that I didn't know it changed my life until about three years or so after reading it. That's because I read the book, and I tried as much as possible to put into practice everything that I read from the book. And I looked back three years later, and I'm like, I I did not used to be this person. How did I become this person? I could trace it back, but I'm like, oh, that's interesting. That's this book. I mean, and that's just one of it. And of course, ever since I've read several books, some of them useful, some of them not useful, some of them might finish, some of them might not finish, but ultimately they have come to impact my life in a way that I like, in a way that I want my life to be impacted, and that's where I am. And of course, probably if you add these comments as well, uh, of course, growing up, we all have this stage where we get to, we all have this stage in our teenage area, we start to add different questions, and we are looking for different answers here and there, right? And we are like, and everything they probably taught us from churches, from uh, community from everything, everything starts saying like all sorts of nonsense. I want to, I mean, why would you say that? Why would you say I should do that? <laughs> I mean, we get to that stage. So At that point, we need direction. I mean, I, I got to that point as well in my own life, and I was just grateful that books were available then. What, what, one of the things that motivated the kind of books that I bought were the issues I was facing. When I bought the book out to win friends and influence people, I was concerned then about my life that I don't have any friends. I don't have anybody that I can that I call, What I mean, I have a friend that I can rely on and also I'm like, okay, let me look for a book that will answer the question for me. And I was so like, I'm still glad that I stumbled that kind of a book. Other times as we well, have picked different books like that, that they were basically me dealing with and history in my life. And I'm like, you know what? What book can I buy to help me address this? And probably that's why book has been able to influence me as well. it just happens that whenever I read them, they tend to be relevant at that point in time. And yeah. That's
0: it. All right, perfect, perfect. Thank you very much for sharing that very, very personal story. Um, Now, a, a good number of people believe that there is a natural progression from the habit of reading. People sort of naturally progress to writing. Do you think this holds true for you? And how have you developed this skill of writing? You are a very prolific writer. I really look forward to reading all your articles, going through your blog. How has your journey along the writing spectrum been?
1: Uh, Do people people really proceed from uh, reading to writing? I I mean, I I think I may not disagree. I may not disagree. And I'm not sure how much reading has... uh, I mean, reading reading probably influenced my writing. Of course, now it does, but when it comes to sparking it... uh, Right, 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 I think Writing for me started basically as a way for me to express myself. So, like I said, I, I mean, around that time I was worried that I had no friends, that kind of a thing, and here and there, and just looking for a way to express myself was what brought me into writing. I'm like, okay, maybe writing is something to do. I have a secret blog, and of course, I, I can't, I can't remember, <laughs> can't remember the name now. <laughs> Like remember, I mean, far back then, many years ago, we are, like, I, I mean, I wrote a lot of things that I'm like when I go back to it, I like, my book I like I said, it's just like I said, it's just a secret blog because it doesn't matter whether people read it or not. And of course, I don't even publish on there again. But yeah, writing has just been. I think writing just came to me that way. But of course, eventually, my reading has now made my writing better from that from that place of it.
0: And and what what's your writing habits like? Some people wake up early they have a dedicated time of the day is this what your writing habit is like or does it just come with a spark like whenever you get the inspiration
1: 99 cents come with a spark <laughs> yeah 99 come with a spark i just i mean so because i i do a lot of uh introspection uh mid- I mean, I don't, I don't mean meditation from the sense of popular meditation. I just mean me thinking about whatever might be going on in my mind now. <laughs> and of course, introspection, thinking about, about events, thinking about, or thinking probably thinking about on what I've read, thinking about, thinking a lot about what I'm going on and things like that, yeah. And of course, when you, when, when you do things like that, inevitably, it gives you an idea of things to, inevitably, I mean, inevitably, it gives you things to share. And if you are the type that writes, it gives you things to write as well. So yeah, a large number of it comes from Spark, but here is what I discovered to do meaningful writing, or at least for, for myself, right? I, I wouldn't say meaningful writing, I've done a lot of meaningful writing, my <laughs> 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 but, to, but to do some sort of um, long form of writing, probably like saying you want to write a book, you want to, I mean, probably let me just use a book that we have as an example. The Spark kind of plan won't work. No, it won't work. No, it won't work. You've got to build a proper system as to how it works. So there's the first project that I'm working on right now that I'm hoping that I see to the end, which is me writing uh, a form of a book on, on a topic that interests me. And what I've done, what I've been doing the past couple of weeks, is to change my waking up time to be a couple of hours early. So I take one hour, first thing in the morning when I wake up, invest it on it. And that has been working. That's probably why I'm leaning on this as It just makes sense to add that. Because eventually, I noticed that I work for the whole of the day, later in the evening when I'm done with my work. And I want to, I mean, there is no motivation for so just, I'm tired already. I just, just want to rest, hug my wife, <laughs> and uh, and and sleep for the day. So I noticed that, okay, maybe waking up early with help, And I think that has been helpful. So if you want I me, mean, at least for me, I want to do that kind of a long project kind of writing, not some article of 400 words or 500 words that I can finish within 30 minutes. But that kind of a long, you of 10,000 words, then that process needs to be built in it and the discipline as well. All
0: right, perfect. I'm just going to go back a little bit to um, something you said in earlier on in the conversation, which is that the article from, I think, probably the Wall Street Journal, as you have said, that talked about the average retail investor who have ended up selling almost everything that they bought in the past two years. Um, you seem to have a different approach, more like a long-term approach. Um, how have you managed to keep your head despite the chaos in the market, despite all what is going on? Are there any psychological hacks that you've discovered over the years that has helped you remain grounded in all the chaos? oh
1: uh, that's an interesting one. I think and what what I tell people or what I and what I do for myself is this. If you're investing for 10 years, 20 years or long term, and of course, investing in a risky asset, you don't put any sum of money. And I'm not sure if this is psychological or just common sense. You don't put any money that you will need in the near term. You don't. Because if you do, you'll be forced to sell. You will be. I mean, you've got to eat. You've got to pay school fees. You've got to pay rent. You'll be forced to sell. So. The, mo- the most important thing that I do is to put an amount that when I remove it from my income, I won't even know that anything has gone out of it. Now, that amount is usually small. Especially if your income is small, like my income is small. That amount will be small, but it gives you peace of mind. So let's say you earn, uh, let I me, mean, we we're both in the UK, for instance. Let's say, for instance, it's £1,000 that you, you earn per month. In my, by my definition of small money, 100 is definitely too much. Let's say your pizza money or your coffee money, 10 pounds or 20 pounds. That's a, that's an amount of money that you can remove and you won't even remember how you removed it, right? If you put that kind of money in an asset that you are sure that will be available in the next 50 years, in the, I mean, yeah, I'll basically just use the S&P 500, the broad index. You, are not, you have nearly nothing to fear. You just keep buying. To use uh, Nick Majeli's word, just keep buying at every time. I mean, you have no business with either the market is up or it is down. Just keep buying. Because again, remember, this is the money that, quote and unquote, you have bought coffee with, and you are forgotten about it. Just see everybody that you put in there as the coffee money. And the market to more and all those ones not make any difference. Right, it won't make any difference. And of course, another thing that has helped me is having a buffer, which is what it can be called an emergency fund, right? When you have that kind of money, that it's your failsafe. You know that even if the worst case scenario happens, there is this ten thousand pounds, there is this five thousand pounds, there is this two thousand pounds that I can fall back on. And that's it. That's basically. I mean, that's probably the two most important thing. And when you do those things, you won't, you won't even need to discipline yourself psychologically. You won't need to be hard on yourself in any way because, I mean, you, you've, you've been you mean, you've been diligent in doing those things. And of course, inevitably, if you do £20 pounds in a long-term kind of asset, that means you will have a lot more money on ground. Although you don't need them now, but you know that you can need them in the next couple of one year two years. Those kind of money, put them in fixed income kind of investment. The return won't be great, but you know that your money will come back when it is safe to come back with a specific interest rate. That's it. That's it. I, I, yeah, that, that's basically how I do that. So no fear, no... Like, I, I have a money in crypto right now. Like I, I, the last time I checked, I think it was down 50 percent or so. I'm no, like I, I don't care. It goes to zero. <laughs> Not like I don't care. I don't want to lose money, but it doesn't move me. It's been there for how many... It's been there for about two years or so. It's, it's just there.
0: Perfect. Thank you very, very much, sir. Um, I, I, you, you gave us a little window into your world a couple of days on Twitter. <laughs> I took account of that and I'm just going to...
1: Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> I can't remember now. Just remind me. <laughs> I'm
0: just going to share a couple of titles yeah. of books in your library, just so that people have an ah, idea. I see. <laughs> So that listeners have an idea of the range of reading that you, that you do, um, there's a book Feeding Kids. I know you've talked about looking forward to having kids, <laughs> so you're already beginning to read about this. Um, the well, managers, let me tell you
1: some story. Go ahead. When, when I bought the book, when I bought the book, they were about, I think, there were two books or so on feeding kids. I was I was at the I was at the place where I got the book with my wife. I wanted to pick the second one, she was like, "You don't even have these <laughs> book. So I had to drop one and pick one of it. I'm like, "No, I was buying this
0: book." <laughs> Interesting. All right. Interesting. There's another book: the, the the manager's book of checklists, um, persuasive presentations, um, the psychology of money by Morgan Housel. Stephen Hawking, who is actually a scientist, a physicist with of relativity and all that, he has two books even on your on your bookshelf. I'm surprised to even see BNF, which is like the British National Formulary, is like a book of medications. um Something. Yeah, that's my wife's though. Ah, okay, that's my wife's book. Ah, okay. <laughs> my wife's book. <laughs> you you read quite a whole lot, quite a wide range of books. Um, I'm not going to bore the listeners with further details, but if you were to make a recommendation of your top three books that could change the life of listeners, it doesn't even necessarily have to be about investing, but something books that open up a new vista for them. um, I'll take the first. I don't know if you want to include it to that list. That's um, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. You mentioned that earlier. But do you just want to tell us three books that you feel listeners ought to have in their libraries?
1: Okay, so that book definitely comes top for me, I mean, on, the, on my reading list, The House of Friends and influence People. I think everybody, I've read the book in, uh, I think 2015 or so, my my summary of it is every every human being on it should just read a book because it's just a book that, I mean, everybody should just read. So yeah, that definitely comes on this. list. So I will take that as not being part of the three lists that you asked for because you made it yourself already. <laughs> All right, actually. I think the next one I will go for, and in no, in no particular order, and with my bias of the current books that i probably just read or re-read again, I think the next one will then be Stephen Hawking, Brief Answers to the Big Questions. Yeah, and it's uh, it's just a fascinating book to me because uh, I think if you actually, and this book would, would be the best for people who probably spend time appreciating nature, wondering how we are on planet Earth, one, I mean, someone who is wondering why are you, why why would they say the earth is round when it looks like everything is flat? Why would they say 70% of water covers the earth? Someone who has that kind of a mind. Yeah, we definitely appreciate it. Because the Venokin just did a very good justice to helping us understand what science has been able to prove about our universe. And yeah, it's it's just it's just, it's just such a, it's just such a great book. Um Second book that I would recommend on that list is one that is probably not in this picture. And it's my current read as well. From poverty to power James, Allen. From poverty to power James, Allen. And uh, yeah, that, that one too is interesting. It's just, a, it's just a book which has informed a couple of tweets that I pulled out, that I put out today as well, which is basically just helping you to understand that a lot of things are dependent on how we feel. The same event that makes you happy can make you sad. It's just a matter of how you choose to process it. Right. Uh, and the third book that I will put on that list, gosh, tough to pick one book on the top of my mind now. But I think at least we have three already.
0: Okay. All right. Thank you. If, if you want to limit it to that, then that's fine. That's perfect. Yeah. But ultimately, probably I will just
1: tell people that uh, the habit of probably reading a book based on your current need probably one of the most effective ways to ensure it, that you get maximum from any book. Because as you're reading it, it should be affecting, it should, it should be answering some of your current questions. And that's the most important thing. Because ultimately, I, I believe that the, the, the beauty of books is not just to tick the box that I've read this, I've read this, I've read this it's the quality of life that you're able to lead. And that's, that's, that's it for me.
0: Absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um, I promised I was going to ask a question about uh, marriage. Um, <laughs> so sure, <laughs> <So shoot. laughs> Warren Buffett was asked a long time, in fact, in many of his conversations that, what do you think the most important decision one can make about finance? And he did say that the choice of one's life partner goes a long way in shaping your financial future. uh I I know you recently got married. I just want to know your opinion on that um, on that statement by Warren Buffett. What's your take on that?
1: <laughs> okay, so I think I might not have unders- I might not understand that the depth of that statement yet, as probably as much as Warren Buffett understands it. I mean, from, from his perspective, and, I, and that's and that's absolutely fine. However, I will say it's a definitely valid perspective as well that the person that you marry will have a lot of uh, a lot of effects on your 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 personal I mean the way your your money, your personal finance, your wealth and everything. Because uh, if you have a partner that don't like to spend, and you also don't like to spend, ultimately you won't have a balanced life. Because if you most of you are probably just saving your money here and there, here and (laughs) there. However, if you have one that likes to spend and you also like to spend, ultimately, just be living from paycheck to paycheck, right? But the balance is always there when everybody just knows that, okay, you know what, we've got to save. If anybody doesn't have to like to spend or like to do whatnot. I mean, the most important thing is both parties come to agree that we can not leave paycheck to paycheck. We've got to save. We've got to have targets. The fact that we are any Billions, millions, thousands doesn't mean we must spend the millions, the billions, and the thousands. Yeah. I think that I think I think that's it. And that's one thing I've been. I mean, my wife has been awesome with that. She said she'll probably say, No, David, you're not buying that. No, David, you're not spending on that. Yeah, and of course I've been able to be with her as well and say, No, you're not buying again. You've bought enough. So we've been we've been good checks for each other.
0: Perfect. Um Well, I, I hope she listens to this at some point. Thank you very much for the fine job you've done on, on my brother. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Now, um just before we let you go, sir, any final words or any final thoughts for the retail investor listening to this? If you were to leave them with one or two take-home messages after this chat, what would that be?
1: Hmm. All right. Uh, I think your question just probably reminded me of something that would probably be important to, 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 to put here as well. And this is what I believe there. You can make massive wealth. If, and I mean, there's an if, if you are willing to be patient, that's, that's the only condition. If you are willing to be patient, I, I'm not sure if you saw one thing, I mean, I posted an article a couple of weeks ago or so. And it was a research by a cap- an asset management company. And this was what they found. That currently in the United States, there are, let's say, now this is me, because I can't remember the actual numbers. Let me, I'll just put my number to it fictitious numbers for the record, fictitious numbers. There are 1 million billionaires. There are 1 million billionaires currently in the United States. That is me putting fictitious numbers. Okay. However, they went back a hundred years ago, and they were like, according to the stock market return over the one hundred over one hundred years ago, if you had put a particular sum of money, I think I know the amount to be precise, seventy-two thousand dollars in the stock market in uh, I think nineteen twenty something or nineteen some, basically, let's just say one hundred years ago, if you had put seventy-two thousand dollars in the stock market, just S&P 500, nothing more, nothing extra, put just seventy thousand dollars in S&P 500. Today, you will be worth more than a billion dollars. Now, does it take any genius to make that? No, it just takes patience. But who is willing to wait for 100 years? Absolutely, quote and unquote, nobody, that's one. But that's not the end of the story. The end of the story is, now they said, although they may not be able to estimate how many number of people that can afford seventy-two thousand dollars hundred years ago, but certainly, certainly, right, they are more than the number of people who are billionaires today. That means everybody could make this wealth, but not everybody is willing to be patient. Everybody ran into crypto some couple of uh, years ago. Because they thought the easy money is there, they can become the next uh, Marcus Zuckerberg overnight, mm-hmm. or the next Elon Musk overnight. Everybody went into stock as so well. everybody turned to the stock market investor within the same period as well. And then I was actually having all this concern that this, I mean, of, of course I was, I, I mean, I'm not a genius. I do not know that it will crash this much or not. But I knew that it's not just going to keep going up, going up, going, going up like that. It's, I mean, it's, it doesn't even make sense for you to keep going up, going up, going up. Right, it doesn't make any sense. But ultimately, everybody rushed into which is fine, which is fine, right? But know that it takes patience, a lot of it, to be able to make this money. But you can, but you can.
0: Thank you very, very, very much, sir. It's been a wonderful time having this chat with you, sir. I totally and thoroughly enjoyed every single minute of it. And I do hope that sometime in future, we'll be able to bring you back again to this platform to have another chat, if that's all right by you.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. It's a pleasure. (laughs) Thank you very much.